Welcome to Inside the Draft, a weekly preview of the upcoming NFL Draft with insiders from around the country. Inside the Draft is back for another week. Good to be with you, and thanks for tuning in here on Colts.com, the Colts mobile app, and the Colts audio network. I'm Matt Taylor, and NFL free agency is less than a week away. and The Colts have decisions to make on their in-house free agents, and they can also start discussions with free agents from other teams starting on Monday during the legal tampering period. Things are going to heat up. We've just had the combine. Free agency is going to be interesting like it always is around the NFL. And in the not-so-distant future, it's the NFL draft at the end of April. So we're going to give you some draft talk every week here on Inside the Draft leading into the big event. And this week, we're going to hear from Austin Gale, the director of content for Pro Football Focus. Myself and Lair Overton caught up with Austin at the Combine to talk about the draft, the Colts, and where the draft might line up for Indianapolis next month. We are back again at the NFL Scouting Combine in downtown Indianapolis. We're talking Colts. We're talking draft. We're talking Combine. Free agencies on the near horizon. We're going to talk all of that right now with Austin Gale. He's the director of content for Pro Football Focus. Matt Taylor, Lara Overton from Colts.com. Colts Television. You see her all over the place. you got the face and the voice, Austin, so make sure you get her right wow. here. Make sure you get it right, pal. <laughs> Exciting stuff. I really appreciate you guys having me. How's the it going, face, man? The face, the voice, and he's got the credibility. The credibility. <laughs> and the stash. The stash. Yeah. The stash How long have you been working on that? Dude, the stash has honestly been something that I've developed over the last like year and a half, two years. It initially started as a joke on my podcast, like <laughs> having some facial hair that came out. Now I've just kind of stuck to it. It's gone to, If the joke has gone too long, eventually I need to get away from no, it, but here we are. No. <laughs> it would take me three years to grow that stash, yeah, by the way. So rock it till you can. A lot of, I do find with like men, right, like, there's a lot of like, Dude, love the stash. I could never grow that with women. It's like, get away from me. So I feel like we'll eventually balance this thing out, and we'll, we'll hit a net positive, I think, in the end. I think Andy Reid is here scouting Austin Gale's mustache. It's That's true. what he's it's looking true. at That's right a first-round mustache first, right there. That's a premium position hair. mustache right there. All right, well, f- welcome back to Indianapolis. How good does it feel to be back doing this after a year hiatus Absolutely year? awesome, right? I mean, this was the last major event for the NFL or covering, you know, working in this position, right, where it was pre-COVID. And now, obviously, the 2021 Combine was canceled. We're back, and it does have this layer of normalcy that even other events really didn't have. I was in L.A. for the Super Bowl, a lot of masked up, and, you know, you're not able to be face-to-face with a lot of these, you know, coaches and players at podiums. Now, you know, we're right back in the thick of it. These players are unmatched right there. So I do think it's been a lot of fun to be back in the thick of this, where I do think it is where the draft coverage really starts. You get to see the, the height, you know, height, weight, speed on these guys and, and really get to talk to them personally about some of the games that they have. So I do love the combine every single year. You know, we were talking off air. We're going to get into the Colts, obviously. But before we get into the, the juice, if you will, you are based in Cincinnati. We were talking about that off the air. What, what did the Bengals run do to energize that fan base in that city? I'm a big Reds fan. I know – they, they deserve what they got these last couple of weeks. I mean, it's a city that's been beaten to a pulp with bad football teams, right? I do think that they've, you know, the Andy Dalton era, the Carson Palmer era, they always felt that with those quarterbacks, they never maximized the potential that they had, you know, the playoff losing record, all that stuff that came with Cincinnati. And I think finally to see a quarterback that has this potential meet some of it, right? Win some playoff games, win some games they weren't supposed to win. They were dogs in a lot of those deep playoff games. And to go into a Super Bowl and even be competitive, I do think is massive for the city, massive for the buy-in from Cincinnati Bengals fans. I'm not, I'll never say Cincinnati faithful is fading in the Bengals. You know, they're not homers over there. They're, all, they're through the thick and thin. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but I do think that it was a big resurgence for the city of Cincinnati. I mean, they've been looking at that from the Reds. They've been looking at that from FC Cincinnati. I mean, you can't go to dollar beer nights at the Cincinnati Cyclones every time. You need to sometimes go to a Bengals <laughs> game in Cincinnati to really live it up. When you look at the combine, we mentioned everyone being back together. You were out there at the Super Bowl. One thing that's interesting is this used to be – Every single GM, every single head coach, they would do the full week. Now you're seeing that some teams, because of what they've learned over the past two years, how they've approached things differently, they aren't necessarily seeing as much need to be here on site. How have you seen different front offices and head coaches evolve, approach this week, this 10-day stretch a little bit differently? And what are the things that they're utilizing more so maybe from off-site and remotely that doesn't necessitate being here as yeah. much as what we saw in the past. It's interesting. I was talking to Mike McCartney, who's been a agent in this business for Priority Sports for over 20 years. And he said, you know, when the combine first started, the only reason they did this was to do medical checks. They, they came in, they did medical checks with team doctors to make sure these guys were healthy and any nagging injuries from college were able to move on from. Then they're like, hey, while we're here, why don't we talk to these players, set up some meetings, and then while we're here, why don't we do drills? And now it's become this big media spectacle, right? Like we have podiums access and GMs and coaches are spending a lot of conversations talking to media and hammering that out and Uh not necessarily watching the players, right? And I think one of the GMs or one of the coaches yesterday brought up, like, in the cancellation in 2021, they found just more efficiency in time, not necessarily having this time in Indy where you're talking to media and doing these things, but actually turning on the tape and looking through this stuff because a lot of the valuable data you are getting from the scouting combine you can get without going, right? It's a lot of these drills that you see the numbers come out from, and you have different people that you can send to have conversations with the players. You don't need to be here in Indy, see these guys run a 40-yard time live. And mm-hmm. honestly, you know, you read some books and you start looking more into analytics. Like it's, you, know, you can get biases, right, in the scouting process, in the evaluation process from seeing these players live, hearing them talk, some biases that honestly negatively affect mm-hmm. your evaluation of players. You almost need to take a money ball approach with some of this, right, and distance yourself from things that are noisy in evaluation of prospects, and some of that is not being here. Because of that, is it is it less likely in this day and age to miss out on the, the hidden gym? I mean, th- does it matter anymore where you go to school? I mean, you look at Darius Leonard. He was an FCS guy. Yeah. Uh, you, you got, you know, the, the quarterback from Liberty. He's going to go in the first round mm-hmm. as a quarterback. He's a non-Power 5 uh, program quarterback. I mean, does it, does it matter anymore where you went to school given the – availability of tape and access we have now so i do think it matters like less right i think with tape and how much um it's become ubiquitous to have access to that stuff and the data and all that it's made it easier to scout small school players but i will say it still matters right because when you are looking at a player that plays at a smaller school an fcs school or division two school or even some of the group of five programs you still have this question of level of competition right and you want to see it against guys that are going to play in the nfl it's why the senior bowl and all-star games are made such a big spectacle and they, i honestly say the senior bowl and all-star games can sometimes be a bigger part of the evaluation process in terms of being there in person than even here at the scouting combine because seeing them like small school players go against power five players that you're projecting to go in the first round and practices in the nfl or in the game itself like that matters a ton so i do think that as much tape access you have to a north dakota state or a south dakota state you still want to see these guys do it against guys who are going to play in the nfl and when you turn on georgia and when you turn on bama you're going to see those guys doing it against guys playing on sundays We always go down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl with our scouts as part of With the Next Pick, our draft series, and they always relate it as an apples-to-apples comparison. You are seeing that level of competition head-to-head. Our scouts just had a full February of meetings, watching through film, starting to build their board. When you look at the 2022 draft, what other position groups where the talent 
is really deep that mm-hmm. you could see even teams that don't have a first-round pick like the Colts score well, grab a guy well in those second rounds. So I do think that the edge class is very deep. I'd say receiver two, but maybe there is more of a drop-off than some people are letting on. I think the edge class, there isn't really a drop-off. There's the Aiden Hutchinsons, the Kayvon Thibodeau's guys that will go in the top five, top ten. But then even beyond that, there's going to be a lot of guys that show out here in Indianapolis that at the top of the second round and even into the third round I can't, I think can be really productive players. And I do think every single year when you talk about which positions are deep or which, which a, what's a strong position group in this class, you're looking at players that meet the size and athletic some thresholds that the NFL sets up. When you oftentimes have lack of depth at a position group, it's because there's you know, a lot of lack of size, guys aren't fast enough, guys aren't explosive enough. With this edge class, a lot of these guys have 34, 35-inch arms. A lot of these guys are going to be really explosive in the broad and the vertical. Guys like Boye Mafe of Minnesota, uh, Arnold Ebiketti of Penn State. You have Kingsley and Agri, South Carolina, MyJ Sanders, Cincinnati, all guys that won't likely go on day one. But you dip into the day two tier, I do think it's still very productive players. So they are, I'm a percentage guy, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to me like I'm Michael Scott, where I don't understand what a budget is, right? Talk to me like I'm five years old. So if, if Hutchinson is 100% the, the best uh, defensive end in this draft class, he's a premium player, going to go in the top 10. Those guys you just mentioned, they are 70% of that, 80% of that. What, what's the number So, so there? how I look at it, honestly, and if you think about it from a percentage perspective, and I think that's a really good way to look at prospects, right? And honestly, I don't think there's any 100% in any class. Like, there's no 100%, right? You, there's guys that can bust for different reasons. They're not pan out to meet expectations, but there's like 90%, 85% where you feel really confident in him hitting a floor or a ceiling projection in the NFL with some of these other edge guys, Maje Sanders, Arnold Abichetti, when you have a strong, deep position group, it's guys that go over 50%. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of these guys are 55 to 60, 65 to 70, where you're like, okay, I know he's not going to be terrible. Like I know, I know I can get plus production out of this edge guy if I get him on day two, where there are guys with higher bust percentages where those go under 50%. Like, hey, there's a chance that this just does not work out in the NFL. He doesn't have the body type, doesn't have the size, doesn't have the athleticism or speed, and that's where guys went off. When you have to project players that don't meet these obvious, obvious size and athleticism thresholds, it Mm -hmm. gets that much more difficult when they don't get playing time, they don't get the development that they need, whereas with guys that do meet these things and do have historical success with the size they have, it's that much easier to project them as high floor players. Quarterbacks, always a position group that has a ton of attention on it. When you look at this draft class and this offseason as the Colts are still exploring all of their options at quarterback in addition to Carson Wentz and his future those quarterbacks within this combine that have the most to gain, mm-hmm. who are the guys who you're watching this week who could make a significant leap and put themselves a little higher on the radars? It's kind of a cheating answer, but I'd say all of them, right? I mean, yeah. this quarterback class, there's a cluster of top-end talent where no one really knows who the true QB one's going to be. And I think the big reason, biggest reason for that is any quarterback you're drafting in, say, the top 50, top 60 picks in this class, you're drafting him for what he can be mm-hmm. in, say, two or three years. You're not drafting him for what he is now. Because a lot of these quarterbacks, what they are right now isn't exactly what you want on your football team in the NFL. So you look at a guy like like Malik Willis coming out of Liberty where there are a level of competition concerns. There's some processing concerns, you know, that that, that maybe when he gets into the NFL right away isn't going to be able to have the level of success that you want. But you're drafting him because he's this insane athlete. He's probably going to run in the low four fives, has a rocket arm, probably the best arm in this class. It's like, man, if I get him with the right coach and the the right people that can put him in a position to succeed in the NFL, I can win with that kind of talent in the NFL. But I do think that... That gone are the days 
where you need a quarterback to come in and play in a quote-unquote pro-style offense, mm-hmm. right? Teams are more often now— How do you dra- think people know what that means? Exactly, exactly. Well, I don't even think it exists, really. I think a pro-style offense is whatever your quarterback's good at, right? In, t- <laughs> in today's NFL— He's in the pros. You're not asking guys to do you know, under-center dropbacks, these types of things that in the past, it's like, well, he hasn't done anything under-center. Is he going to be able to do it in the NFL? It's like, no, dude, no one runs under-center in the NFL, right? Now it's you draft him Malik Willis, and he say he can't do X, Y, and Z. Well, guess what? Our offense doesn't have any X, Y, or Z. I think the same thing with Jalen— doesn't Jaylen. matter. Jalen Hurts runs a completely different offense than Joe Burrow. Both have had success in the NFL. Obviously, Joe Burrow, more success going to the Super Bowl, but that's what teams are doing now. It's the same thing with Josh Allen. Every th- everyone, the Buffalo Bills quarterback, everyone wants to say he had this ma- insane improvement, insane development. He did. He did get a lot better from his time in Wyoming. But tip your freaking cap to what Brian Dable did mm-hmm. to highlight his strengths and mitigate his, lo- his weaknesses. Mm-hmm. He put an offense together around Josh Allen that legitimately catered to his strengths. Running the football, hammering it down the football field, taking these big things, not necessarily relying on him being down-to-down accurate underneath and all that stuff. Whereas you compare it to a Joe Burrow, you can ask him to do whatever you want. Don't ask him to run QB power, right? Like, don't, like, don't ask him to do some of those things. So I, I do no, think that no. the NFL is changing. The NFL is changing on how we, quote-unquote, develop the quarterback position. What we do now is give me a quarterback that can do this and give me an offense coordinator that's willing to say, I can create an offense to win with that guy. Because no more, you know, you'll lose. You'll lose as an offense coordinator in the NFL if you draft a quarterback and say, I need him to play my offense. Mm-hmm. And if he's not good at it, guess what? He's not going to pan out. You've talked, I've talked to a lot of quarterbacks who've played in the NFL, Bruce Gretkowski, Jordan Palmer, um, JT O'Sullivan, they say situation, situation, situation. And it's because if you get drafted into an offense that doesn't cater to your skill set and they're not willing to change, a lot of the times with second-round investments or third-round investments in players, you're screwed. It's not going to work out. So I, I do think that we need to stop saying, you know, year two, year three, if he develops in the NFL, it's more like, is the offensive coordinator going to build around him, right? One of the quotes that I've said this offseason is, Justin Herbert's great. They built Justin Herbert, right? You didn't draft a Justin Herbert. You built a Justin Herbert with the offense you're running with Joe Lombardi, which is very similar to what they did with Drew Brees in New Orleans, building an offensive line, signing Corey Lindsey, drafting Rashawn Slater. You build that production. You don't draft it. So you don't see any teams drafting or trading up to to get quarterbacks this year? I think there's always going to be teams desperate, right? When you think about the decision-making in front offices in the NFL, you always have to factor in how warm is the seat. You know, how warm is the seat Mm -hmm. under the coaching staff? How warm is the seat under the GM? Because if it is warm, you you have to start making decisions that's going to, like, expedite the process of showing that you can put together a good football team, Mm -hmm. right? You look at Carolina. They haven't had the success that they wanted. They placed a bet on Sam Darnold trading the second-round pick, and it did not pan out. Now, sitting there at six overall with one pick inside the top 100, does Matt in this front office say, hey, let's swing a big bat and try and get a quarterback at six. If you lose, you lose that bet, you don't develop a Malik Willis at six, or you don't develop a Sam Howell, it's over. It's yeah. over and that whole, you know, your whole regime changes. So I do think that no team, in my opinion, should be trading up in this class. But will they? With the desperation of this league? Absolutely. Do you see it as, I mean, it's, it's a deep draft class. I mean, you're always going to have the top ten picks be very, very good football players. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a big drop-off, like you said. Do the Colts kind of get by the, with the fact this yeah. year? I mean, it's not, it's not a huge detriment to them this particular year that they don't have that first-round pick giving it away to the Philadelphia Eagles for Carson Wentz. So I do think I, I push back a little bit on like this draft class being weaker than previous years. I think the biggest reason is is because it doesn't have like premium talent at the sexiest positions. Like When you don't have high-end quarterback talent, and I don't think you have Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith levels of receiver talent, immediately everyone's like, ah, oh, this class stinks. You know, but I do think that really good offensive tackles, I think three top ten players at that position really good edge defenders two top 10 players at that position and maybe 
there's no Miles Garrett in this class. Mm -hmm. There's maybe no um, Jonathan Ogden in this class, but still really talented football players. And when you get to the day two, day three areas, as long as you're attacking the positions of high value that do have depth in this class that meet those thresholds, I do think you can get value out of this class. It's Austin Gale. He's the director of content for Pro Football Focus, which is a fancy way of saying he's really smart. He knows <laughs> football. He crunches the numbers. One final question before I let you go, my friend. Gold Star or Skyline? I have to say something here. I've never had either. I'm a Cali boy. I'm a Cali boy. And I have Matt not. Matt Taylor just threw his headset, you guys, just to fill you in on what I'm a Cali happened. guy. I have not been impressed with the marketing. Austin, it's, it's been good to have you. Uh, we'll see you at St. Elmo's later. Oh, see, St. Elmo's Appreciate you. Hey, if you're ever in town, give us a call. Uh, here, all right, let me flip this around. Favorite Rheingeist selection if okay. you're going to have a beverage. I do think the truth is very good. Yeah. I'm not a big IPA guy, but I do support. What they do, I've done some some content with them in the past and Ooh. previous lives with working go. in Cincinnati, and there I do think go. that really expect you know respect their marketing approach and all that stuff. I don't want to get into that, but I do think that Ryan Geist is doing a lot of good things. Mad Tree's doing a lot of good things. I know Skyline's not my cup of tea, but the city of Cincinnati continues to impress me in other ways. Hey, yeah, next time I'm in Cincinnati, we'll, we'll share a bubbles. I love that. Bubbles is good too. Bubbles, bubbles is good. But too. Jeff Ruby, I like Jeff Ruby. All right, all right, I like okay. Jeff Ruby. I like no, I don't have to. Graters, Grater, Graters is phenomenal. I Cincinnati prefer- is a very underrated food city. I, I prefer Jenny's <laughs> over Graders, but I like Graders a lot. Yeah, I like yeah, Graders yeah. a lot. All right. Fair enough. We'll end on good terms there. That's Austin <laughs> Gale from Pro Football Focus. Thanks for stopping by, man. Absolutely. Thank you.